name is Matthew Cogswell. I'm the Next Generation Pastor here at Hope Fellowship Church, uh, which means I get to um, serve the middle school and high school students. Uh, I've been here about five years or so, and they haven't kicked me out yet, so I'm glad to be here with you guys and to be able to um, preach uh, and to be able to uh, worship together with you. If you don't mind, go ahead and turn to uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, as we are going to continue in our study in the book of Romans. Pastor Mark did a great job of uh, introducing this, uh, this book to us, this, or more appropriately, this letter um, from the first 17 verses. Um, as the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. Now, uh, presumably this church was started from those who were um, at Pentecost and God did a work in their life as the Holy Spirit was poured out in, in, in their lives and that, and that uh, the Peter was preaching this gospel message and that they brought it back to their, their home uh, region. And so um, this is a church that, that Paul has never met before. He has never met them, and so he is um, establishing a relationship with them. He's, he's, he's introducing himself. He's talking about you know, who he is, what he's all about, and, he's, uh, and his desire to be able to meet them in person, to be able to be mutually encouraged by um, their faith. And so he's, he's kind of building this rapport, and, he, and he's establishing that man. His, his life is all about the gospel. That it's centered around this, this message, this good news about Jesus Christ. And he, so he's laying this out in this powerful, powerful letter. And, uh, and he ended last week in verse 17 where it says that God's righteousness, God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel by faith through and through. And he says that the righteous shall live by faith. Powerful. Powerful, powerful text. And so uh, this morning, as we start in verse 18, we walk through verse 32, where the Apostle Paul says, there's something else that is being revealed from heaven. Now, how many of you guys have heard this uh, question posed to you? Do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? How many of you guys have had that before? How many of you this morning, uh, I know we're, we're still waking up and some you get your coffee and everything, I'm, I'm going to have you guys raise your hands, but how many of you guys are like, man, I, I'm, I'm more the type of like, just tell me the bad news first, rip the band-aid off, who's that, who's, who's that in here? Okay, I see you, all right. Now, again, that means that the rest of you guys are either not voting at all and you're like, I'm too tired to raise my hand, or you are saying, man, I need to kind of be warmed up a little. Just warm me up a little, soften me up before you lay down this bad news. And, uh, but here, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't give him an option. He doesn't give him an option. He actually jumps out the gate with some truths that start off as some bad news. Some bad news. And what's this bad news? It's this, that the whole world, the whole world is under God's judgment and that he never condemns without just cause. Dang. Okay, Paul, uh, he's, got, he's coming at us like that. In this, and in this section here, in this section here, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, strategically starts off by looking at the human race, primarily the, the pagan Gentile world, and that just means the Gentiles, non-Jews. And, uh, and, and that's why we'll hear him say over and over in this text, they, 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 
And so he's laying out this case starting before Christ's first coming, before Moses, before the, the Old Testament law and Abraham. And, but yet we'll see how later on he ties it all together to incorporate the Jews, the Romans, and all people of all time. And so God's description of, of sinners here is not a pretty one, uh, but we cannot avoid it. This section does not teach the evolution of, of man, this popular thought that, that uh, you know, man started off low and then kind of climbed their way and, and has just formed into these enlightened beings. No, instead, this picture here that Paul portrays is that man actually started off high in relationship with God and because of sin, spiraled down further and further and further. Bottom line for this morning, as we get into this, is that unless we see our great need for God's righteousness, there is no good news of the gospel. Uh, turn to somebody next to you and say, it's about to get real. It's about to get real this morning. Say, say it's about to get real. It's about to get real. Three reasons for God's just cause in judging the world is one, first one is they suppressed God's truth. So let's go to verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Question, what is wrath? What is wrath? So, uh, yeah, some of you hear somebody say it's anger. Yeah, it's anger. So in, in some of you guys, you get scenes of, you know, this fire coming down, right? Fire coming down and, and this, you know, Armageddon scenes and, and, and uh, fierce anger. And some of you guys are just going back to your mom and your dad when <laughs> the wrath of mom and dad when you slipped up as a, as a kid. Oh, I don't, don't unleash mom's wrath because she's about to bring it here. I, I, fully, I see some head nodding. You're like, yeah, they, they know what uh, what I mean by that, but while wrath in the Bible refers to a very real uh, day of wrath, like where the uh, Old Testament prophets like Zephaniah and Isaiah refer to this, uh, in the book of the Revelation, we describe a day, a terrible day when Jesus will return to judge the world who reject God and don't obey the gospel. But we also see here that there is a wrath that is being revealed. It's this present uh, tense against all godly, ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth by their wickedness. But what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, got this beach ball. How many of you guys were fortunate enough to be able to go to the beach over the course of, yeah, this time, okay, we've got some of you guys, some of you guys at the, at the pool, some of you are like, man, I'm going to try to get in my time before, you know, school starts, and you've know, you got some planes going, and, you know, and so uh, you're like, you're like me, like me, you just, man, you, you, you've had opportunities where you've been, you know, messing around with uh, some pool toys, man, they got this beach ball over here. Uh, now, how many of you guys are like me, like, as a kid, where you get to, you know, you ever try to push the, the beach ball underneath the water and to see what happens? Some of you guys, am I the only one? Am I the only little kid, nerd, whatever? Okay. <laughs> so I used to take the beach ball. I used to try to push it down, right? And then what would happen? It'd pop back up. So you push it down, and you see how it pops back up. 
you know, and, 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 and no matter how much you do that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pop back up. But what we see here with Pastor, the uh, Apostle Paul is saying is that when they're suppressing the truth, that it means that he's describing a people that are pushing down the truth. The ball represents truth. And our conscience is the pressure that's popping it back up. If you can kind of get that in your mind. The ball's truth. The pressure is kind of our conscience being popping it back up. Now, our conscience is God-given, right? God's given that to all mankind. It's this, it's our, it's this um, way of being self-aware. It's our knowing right from wrong. You hear people say, man, don't you have any conscience, right? Don't you have a conscience? It's this, it's this God-given. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, uh, non-Christian, whatever. We all have written in us a conscience that tells us what's right and wrong. And so when you have this this people, he's saying there's a people that's pushing down the truth, pushing it down because they want to protect their own lifestyle, self-centered lifestyle. And so the wrath of God, it looks like this, as they're pushing down, God's giving them over to what they want. So as they're Instead of being pushed out and popping back up, there's this constant releasing. And so this is a picture of the wrath of God being revealed to those who are suppressing or holding down the truth. I told you it's going to get real, right? We're getting, we're, getting, we're getting real here. And so you'll see in this passage three times over and over again, this giving over. He gave them over. He gave them over essentially to what they want. So the first cause for God's judgment is they held down or suppressed the truth for so long in order to keep it from interfering from their own lifestyles that were contrary to what they knew was wrong. Second reason for God's just cause for judgment is that they ignored God's general or natural revelation. Verse 19 through 20 says, because of that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Man, heavy stuff. Everyone, everyone is really without excuse, right? What, what about the remote people in, the, in these tribal uh, communities that have not heard the gospel before? Doesn't this seem a little harsh, right? Some unduly harsh. And I've had several people that close to me who have had this conversation with, and they said, man, I, I just can't get over um, how this just and loving God could send people to hell. How many of you guys have had similar thoughts before? It's challenging, right? It's challenging. This is real, right? How, 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 could, how could a just and loving God send people to hell? And I'm not going to pretend to give you this nice cut and dry answer and this little pastoral answer, and they'll just kind of like, there you go. It's just something simple as that. No, no, no. That's something we can sit down, have some coffee, and be able to discuss walking through the word of God together in relationships so we can begin to really look at 
this, but, but, but I just encourage you, I encourage you, if that's, that's you here this morning or watching from church at home, to keep an open mind, to begin to ask questions, and don't stop there. Pursue truth, pursue answers to those questions, right? Unfortunately for many, including some people close to me, they just re- simply refuse to go deeper. They refuse to ask those questions and to pursue answers, only confirming the tendency to want to suppress the truth. So Paul was clear that no one can claim ignorance of God's existence and power. Why? Because God has clearly revealed many of his attributes in the natural world, enough for people to respond in some manner. Now, you think, well, certainly people can't truly understand everything there is about God from uh, nature, and you're absolutely true. However, however, they can have enough, uh, know enough about for God to hold them accountable for responding to this knowledge. Paul affirms later on this letter, in this letter that God will render just judgment to each person according to whatever light that they have received, whether it's the gospel of Christ, the Jewish law, or natural revelation. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. You know, I have yet to sit down with somebody and looking at the sunset and all of its glorious colors and, 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 and this, this beauty in the sky. I have yet to sit with somebody who's seen that and turned to me and said, you know, I can do that. I can make that. Have you? Anybody? No, that's, a, that's absurd, right? In I, I, all the world, there's some brilliant, brilliant scientists and, and thinkers in the world that they observe the creation of the world and they, and they have just, this, just brilliant thoughts. But yet, introduce me to one scientist that can initiate a total eclipse. You're not going to introduce me to one, right? It's not going to happen. Why? Because from creation, from the creative order, the natural order of life, God is revealing attributes about himself, that that there is a creator, that there is a powerful, glorious creator who is is full, uh, he's intelligent, he's mighty. This this God is a God of order, this this God that has got a beauty and and, 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 and even though creation is distorted from, from mankind, from our own ways of kind of harming the, the creation that we live in at times, we can still see, we still see, and we cannot ignore the evidence. Because come judgment day, we are without excuse. We're getting real. Third reason for God's just judgment of mankind, they exchanged God's glory. Verse 21 through 23 says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's why there's certain people that are, that we know that are just brilliant people. They're they're just, uh, just very rational thinking, just 
beautiful, wonderful people, whatever, thinking people, and yet they can look at the same facts and come to a conclusion that is completely futile, without purpose, without truth, right? So they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, when you suppress the truth, when, when you ignore the, the general and natural revelation of God through his creative order, well, the next step, the next step then is this. Uh, we're going to exchange the worshiping the, the true God for worshiping his creation, right? Where we fall in love with creation, mankind creates idols, now, you may be thinking to ourselves right this morning, like, well, that's weird. We don't, we don't worship idols like that, for, you know, beasts and birds and all that. We don't worship that. But, but the truth is that, man, we, we are like idol factories. We're like idol factories when it comes to whether it's wooden figures or it may be our goals or things that we pursue, such as money and power and comfort that become our main objective for worship and, and our main purpose for, for life. And he says that they, this, they, misrep, they may even rip, misrepresent the, the very um, image of God himself, making him in our own image rather than the other way around. R.C. Sproul says this, he says, A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness and no wrath is an idol. Did you get that? A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath is an idol. It's made up. That's not the God of the Bible. No matter how uncomfortable that makes us, no matter how much that, that grades against inside of us, no matter how much we, we want it to be true, it, that just doesn't make it true. That's not the God of the Bible. And that's where we get this, sometimes where the American gospel can come out. You guys know what the American gospel is? Just be better. Be a better person. Just do better. You do better, be better, and that's what really what it's all about. Because deep down inside, 99.9% of us are good people. Check out the, uh, uh, there's a document called uh, The American Gospel. And it's talking about how that, either, that does two things. It damns us either to the thinking where we actually think we can be good enough to meet the righteous standards of God. Or we're completely in shame and, and bondage. Both ways, it's not the real gospel. There's this uh, quote from God's at War talking about idols, and he says this, God declines to sit atop an organizational flowchart. He is the organization. He is not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. A life doesn't work until everyone else is sitting, ar- sitting around the table in the boardroom is, of your heart is fired. He is God, and there is no other applicants for the position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistance to the regional gods. God is saying this not because he's insecure 
but because it's the way of truth in this universe, which is his creation. Only one God owns it and operates it. Only one God designed it. Only one God knows how it works. He is the only God who can help us, direct us, satisfy us, and save us. That's, that's the real God of the word. And so we get this picture here where Paul keeps going, man. I'm telling you, he keeps going, and, and he says there's a kind of this natural uh, 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 results of um, people who are rebelling against God and uh, suppressing the truth and ignoring revelation and, and exchanging this glory for idols. And, but yet, however, we see that God did more than just simply take, let nature take its course. It says that he's giving them over to it. This is a hard time. This, this passage is beating me up. I've been reading through this passage. I'm like, dang. As much as it's hard to think, I'm, I'm like, but this is the word. So he was giving them up to expressions of a corrupt lifestyle and deserve, and, and deserve the, the God's wrath and the sentence of death. Let's, let's read. He gave them over to fornication. Verse 24 through 25 says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then he gave them over to sexual perversion in 26 through 27 says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural functions for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And lastly, he gave them over to a depraved lifestyle. Verse 28 through 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which ought not to be done, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, inventors of evil, inventors of evil, disobedient to the parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. God. That's the truth. That's the word of God. Wow. When Paul's letter was being read to this Roman church, I can just imagine that there, there were many heads nodding and as he called out idol worshipers and those who were practicing homosexuality and, and those who were violent people. And, but, but to the surprise, I think when in chapter 2, he turns around and says, but you, do you think you're any better? 
So their eyes probably popped open. They say, you who, who, who can you continue to practice these same things, you, you, and you pass judgment on, on them, condemning them, do you do those things? And he flips it around on them. And he starts off saying, they, 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 and it's like, yeah, it's all good when it's they, 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 but when he turns around and says, you, 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 then there's, there's a challenge in our own hearts. Because bottom line, this is what he's saying. He's saying, nobody is good enough. Nobody. That, and then there's no point system in the sin either. So some sin is a little you know, higher and, and, and this. And, and although there are consequences to our sin that are heavy and more damaging, he says, no, no, no. It all separates us from a holy and righteous God. No one is, is good enough. And he's laying out the truth. He's laying it out straight on, right unashamed of the gospel. This is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless we see our great need for God's righteousness, there is no good news of the gospel. Well, well, God is loving. He won't judge us. Sin isn't so bad. You know, it teaches us valuable lessons, right? Or, or, or maybe you've heard this one before. Um, we need to stay relevant. So I'm going to kind of compromise on some things that I know are against what God's called me to do, stepping on toes. Here's what I hear in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, where he's, Paul says, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret in that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Listen, if we aren't grieving sin in our lives, if we're not taking that seriously and, and, and we're not uh, uh, trying to resist, th- then we need to check our hearts. God was beating me up this, this week with this, with this word, and, and, but it's truth. It's truth. So it, it, this, this truth penetrates us, and, it, and it's, it's time, listen, it's time that we allow, that we allow the truth that, we, that is popping up in our hearts to instead of be pushing it down, to be letting it rise to the top to be dealt with. Because here's the good news. It's that God's judgment is never without hope. You hear me? God's judgment is never without hope until that final judgment day or two you pass from this life. Praise God. No one is too far from God's mercy and his grace. Praise God. Because here's the truth. Here's the, the goodness that Jesus Christ, the, the God-man, the, the one who was spotless, perfect, did that he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of God for you and I, that he laid his life down on a cross to take the wrath of God, the penalty of our sin upon himself. Why? Not because he deserved it, because he loved us so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price that whosoever would believe in him 
turning from their ways, turning from their, their lifestyle of trying to, to meet those requirements on their own strength or to ignore the truth of, of God in their lives. He said, it is those who I die for. But the question is, do you believe that? Or do you still believe that because you're just deep down inside, God, it's like the, 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 the humanity is just 99.9% good, and therefore they can just kind of make it? Paul says no. No, he's laying it out on the line here. The good news, man, the good news that God, the creator, created us to be in relationship with him, that our sin separated us from a holy and righteous God. That, but yet, yeah, that is, that this sin, this sin could not be atoned for by our good works, but it was paid for at the cross for you and I, that all those who believe in him would receive eternal life beginning then, and that life would continue into eternity when we meet him face to face. That's the good news of the gospel. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 says, As all of us, all of us lived among them at one time. Speaking of the, the way of that, fulfilling the cravings of our flesh and indulging its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. But because of great of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace that we have been saved. Can I get an amen? Amen. I encourage you guys, as we go into the dive in section uh, later on, uh, checking out on the website, there's a dive in some great questions as we continue this. I, uh, I close with a story. I close with this story. There is a man who... His life and his lifestyle, man, he, he was broken inside, even though he kind of kept things on the outside together. He would often hold down the truth of his conscience that was telling him that uh, his business practices were, were not honest, that he was living a lifestyle that was truly against God's revelation to him. But yet, over time, he just continued to ignore it and ignore it. And he was known in that city, in that region, for his uh, shady practices. He was not well-liked because of the things that he, he did. He hurt a lot of people. And he worshiped at the altar of greed. But then one day, this God man named Jesus showed up on the scene. And he came up to this shady character, this this one who was so clearly far from God and and he got into his space and he says, hey, come follow me. 
turn from your lifestyle, turn from that, and come follow me. Well, that person, that man, he heard that call. He recognized that he was guilty. He recognized that there was things in life. He, he, was, he was completely rejecting God, and so he, he repented. He turned from it. He, he left that lifestyle, and, and he began to um, throw this huge party where he invited all his friends who were kind of in that same boat, and he wanted them to meet this Jesus whom he met. And Jesus comes onto the scene. He's at this party, and he's mingling around. And, and then there's religious leaders that saw what was going on, and they start sneering, and they look at that. Jesus is like, what are you doing? You're hanging around sinners? What are you, what is, what are you, you're, you're, do you, don't you know those, those people are, they've rejected, they're just rejecting God. They're doing some just foul and things that just shouldn't be called. They're, they're, they're totally against the things of God. Why are you hanging out with them, Jesus? And this is, this is what Jesus replies to them. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to follow me. What's he saying there? Jesus was sent into the world not to condemn the world, but to redeem the world that the all that all of us who are under that that the wrath of of God the the judgment of God may be delivered but those who reject that that deliverance are still under the judgment and and God is, is saying I sent a provision for you you don't need to ignore the truth you don't need to hide the reality of your depravity the brokenness in your life you need to allow it to rise to the top because I have made a way for you I have made a way for you. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for those who knew that they were sinners. And here's the deal. Until we understand our great need for God's righteousness, we're not going to receive that. It becomes another talking point or whatever. Okay, that's great. I'm going to keep doing my thing. Or it becomes the cross becomes this, this thing that, that, that just is an irritation to us and we just want to push it away instead of something that we cling to. The cross is what we cling to because we realize how desperately we need his forgiveness and his love. I want you to bow your heads with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for The fact that, man, we have blown it over and over and over again, or that we have, every single one of us has rejected your truth. Have, we have ignored the, the, the reality of who you are. We have, we have suppressed the truth in our lives, God, that we have, man, that we have exchanged the glory of worshiping you, the true God, for the creation and, and making things out to fit our standards and our molds. Lord God, would you forgive us? God, I pray for those this, this morning who, 
who have been holding on to this, this lie that they can continue on into a lifestyle of sinning against your, uh, your heart and your truth and your design for them. Know that there's, and let them know that there's a difference between struggling against our sin, struggling and practicing a lifestyle. And Lord, I pray that as Paul says that the riches of your kindness, the mercy would lead them to repentance, lead them to truly seeing their desperate need for you and cling to the cross, clinging to the, to the truth that you are the only way and truth and life. Apart from you, we have nothing. God, may we be your people that don't try to justify the things in our lives, taking for granted the, the grace and the patience and the mercies that you've extended to us through Christ. But Lord, help us truly to live for you, to love others as we love ourselves, God. And Father, for us as the church that know you, Lord, in relationship with you, Lord, may, we, may our hearts break for those who are far from you. May we be your hands and your feet to bring this good news in both word and in deed. We'll be careful to give you all the thanks and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.